Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. Now, before we move on from this epic moment of David's epiphany, his aha and repentance, and his artistic expression of gratitude for the forgiveness he does not deserve but receives from me, I should say that there are some things we have yet to reveal in our discussion of what it means to be on the way. We've made clear from time to time that we are processing our work in, through, and with humanity as tracked by the owner's manual. I can say that there will be more exponentially wonderful things to discuss about getting right with me, having your sins taken away, and walking out your best designed destiny in the days to come. For now, however, Take David's repentant example to heart and turn back to me. Ask for my forgiveness and help, and I will surely provide them. So on the heels of David's encounter with Nathan, and just as the prophet had foretold, the child Bathsheba conceived by David's adultery dies. Then further consequence works its way out in David's household and kingdom, One could say these consequences result less directly from David's sins of adultery and murder and more directly from the fact that the king has passed his heart of pride and lust on to the next generation. And so the episodes that follow the account of David's sins in Tom are equally heartbreaking, as the next generation fails to turn to me and instead goes about getting what it wants, however it wants, just like Daddy. The king's oldest son, Amnon, born by David's wife Ahinoam, falls in love, or at least in lust, with his younger half-sister Tamar, daughter to David by his wife Maacha. Amnon rapes Tamar. When the king learns of this violation, he is enraged and paralyzed Right here in his own home, between his own children, his own sin has played out before him. Tamar is as innocent as Bathsheba, and Amnon is as unable to control his lusts as David had been. Seeing himself all too clearly in his son, his eldest son, remember, who'd likely have his dad's throne someday, David cannot bring himself to punish him. Were David to chastise his son for walking in his own steps, David knew he would have been a hypocrite. He'd have had no moral ground of his own to stand on. He'd have had to stand on mine. He could and should have. Tamar's full brother, Absalom, son obviously to David also by Maacha, bides his time over two years of silent treatment of his rapist half-brother Amnon. Since the king makes no move in that time to discipline Amnon, Tamar's brother decides he must be the one to avenge her and bring justice. 
when Absalom perceives the time is ripe, in the midst of another great sheep-shearing party, with the food and wine flowing freely, Amnon is far enough into his cups, uh, shades of David plying Uriah with wine in order to lower his inhibitions and sleep with Bathsheba, used now to lower Amnon's defenses. Amnon is far enough into his cups that he doesn't have the capacity to defend himself. At that moment, Absalom avenges his sister and gives the commands for his servants to kill Amnon, and it is done. Like father, like son. David and Absalom both have their deputies handle their murder for them. David had been the perpetrator of sexual violation and murder. Now he is witness to it in his own children. Whereas David's heart had been hardened to the thought of his actions' consequences on others when he was driven by his passion to adultery and murder, his heart is soft again now and pierced by deep sorrow and anguish. And yes, he should have intervened upon the news of his eldest's sin. Doing so quite possibly could have saved Amnon's life. David's inaction serves as a tragic example of how one can sin by not doing something. Feeling sympathy for someone in the wrong because you've been there before is no reason to leave them in their sin. In fact, it is all the more reason to shine light into their circumstance, to guide them to face reality and consequence if need be, so they can move on and so the destruction that always accompanies sin can stop. David has the chance to play the role of Nathan in Amnon's life, and he doesn't. Therefore, the destruction continues, not just in Absalom's murder of his brother, but then in Absalom's fate as well. Well-timed word from David right now could have stopped the consequence train from rolling onward, and the king's inaction is added to the mound of sin piling up here. If you're feeling a nudge to have a similar conversation in your life, today is the day for it, friend, if you can take a hint. Had Absalom known his dad had murdered his stepmother Bathsheba's husband Uriah, don't think that tidbit wasn't a very well-kept secret between only the king and Joab, and me and Nathan, of course. Absalom might not have feared his dad as much as he did, although knowing that your father is capable of murder usually isn't something that brings one comfort. Absalom stays away from Jerusalem for three years, then returns only because Joab, ever the middleman, convinces the king to bring his son home. Uh, we're in 2 Samuel 14 now. Even then, David wants nothing to do with his son for two more years. Finally, and of his own accord, Absalom gains an audience with his father the king to seek his pardon, and David extends his forgiveness by embracing and kissing his son. In case you haven't been counting, five entire years have passed since the murder of Amnon, and seven since the rape of Tamar. That being said, it's a happy scene between the surviving eldest son and father, to be sure, but it's too little too late. 
David has sown further seeds in the intervening five years of ignoring the situation with Absalom. Yes, there is something to be said for a cooling-off period when such heated things happen. But too much time has passed, and Absalom has been left to his own imagination. That imagination has crafted a great rift between Absalom and David, and, once again having bided his time for opportunity, when the time is once more ripe, Absalom now moves to usurp his father's throne. Oh, boy. Honestly, it's like something right out of your habitat. Spies, intrigue, political maneuvering, all ending in another murder. Actually, two. If you're keen on the details, feel free to crack open Tom and read chapters 13 through 20 of 2 Samuel. Absalom is a shrewd character who builds support for himself among the people to the extent that he has enough of a following to motivate David to flee Jerusalem. David leaves with his entire household along with a good number of city residents loyal to the king. Please note that we are not causing Absalom to do these things. No one is making him go after the throne in this manner. This, again, is all consequence to the dynamics set in motion by David himself with his sin. As such, just as the prophet Nathan promised, foreseeing, not causing, Absalom pitches a tent on the same roof where David's lustful sin campaign began. There, Absalom lies with the concubines David has left behind. They are there to care for the palace household in the king's absence. It never crossed David's mind that his son would rape them as a blatant show of defiance of his father, creating an odious point of no return for all the kingdom to see. What David had done in secret, his son multiplies by ten in broad daylight. And since only a handful of you recognized the name of Absalom when we began telling of him, you can all tell now that he doesn't succeed in his campaign. It is once again Joab, David's right-hand man who has shown himself ready to strategically kill time and again, with and without the king's permission. It is Joab who offs David's usurping son. This time, though, in contrast to David's having given clear instruction to Joab for Uriah to be killed, the king has instead clearly commanded that Absalom not be killed. This command Joab ignores as he skewers Absalom in a tree. On news of Absalom's death, the king weeps and weeps for his son. Oh, my son Absalom! My son! My son Absalom! If only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. 2 Samuel 18.22 So upset is David with Joab that the king fires the formerly trusted right-hand man and appoints another commander. Not surprisingly, the new commander is also killed by Joab, who then redeems himself by putting down yet another serious rebel who's gathered forces to bring against the king. By the time the section finishes at the end of chapter 20, David is secure back on his throne. Two traitors who sought it will never be heard from again, 
and Joab is back in David's tolerated, if not good, graces. However rosy things may seem to be again, though, David will never forget the words of Nathan about the consequences of his sin. They play in David's memory again and again, as the devastation of rape, murder, alienation, and destruction wash across his memory of his children. His children. When the king cries for Absalom, wishing he'd died instead of his son, he means it. With Nathan's words ringing in his ears, knowing full well he is more than complicit in his son's death. How many times in such moments of grief has he wished he'd turned away that day on his roof and asked me what to do next instead? 